Well, you know that each week I like to start off with a question for you guys to get you thinking. And so this week, here's the question. What is the center of your life? What is the center of your life? The center meaning what does your life revolve around? You know the usual pastoral response here. Some things could be like good things, but in the end, they don't belong in the center of our lives. Because what our lives revolve around is what we end up serving, revering, and defending. And as Christians, there should be nothing in the center of our lives except, of course, God himself. Kids are a blessing, but they make lousy gods in the center of our lives. What other people think of me is important to a degree, but it can devastate us if that is the center of our lives. My career, my status, my finances, how my house looks, what ministries I'm serving in, what church I go to, whatever, all are not evil in and of themselves. But if they're allowed access into the center of our lives, it's idolatry. What about the church? What about Highlands Bible Church? What is the center of our church? What should the center of any church be? Maybe take a look at the evangelical megachurch culture in America. What is the center of it? I would argue it's gotten way off track. Celebrity pastors, multi-million dollar facilities, music programs, production, all of that seems to be in the center of the church. And again, what about us? What about Highlands Bible Church? I mean, we have multi-million dollar production too. I mean, this light show in and of itself is... <laughs> we've got two that work, one that does it right now. So. We're killing it. Jesus is, not, is going to be completely clear this morning on what the center of his church should be, who he is, and how that works for us. Let's jump back into Matthew chapter 16. Last week, Pastor Josh, thank you very much, Josh, took us into chapter 16. Jesus again tangling with the Pharisees, challenging his disciples for their lack of faith. We've seen the, the pattern of Jesus bouncing back and forth. He's in the Jewish section of, of Palestine. He would tangle with the Pharisees. Things would get hot. He would do miracles People would crowd and throng around him, and so he would have to go over to the Gentile side of town to let things cool down a little bit. And he was doing that intentionally because there's a pattern. There's, there's works that he has to do here. He needs to go to the cross when it's time for him to go to the cross. And so we see, again, that's exactly what is happening this week. Look at verse 13. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples who do people say the Son of Man is? So Jesus makes his way into the Gentile district of Caesarea Philippi, and we do have a map, and all the people rejoiced. And I even remembered my pointer, which sometimes works, right? So we got Jerusalem down here, right? We've got the Sea of Galilee and Galilee, where Jesus does a lot of his ministry. Here, I'll give you some love over here too. Jerusalem and Galilee, right? And so way up here is Caesarea Philippi. It's about 120 miles north of Jerusalem, so a little bit of a trek. So you can see that Jesus gets out of town, and he really gets out of town. He goes way north. It is a Gentile pagan region centered on the worshiping of false Canaanite gods like Baal, like other Greek gods, and of course the worship of the Roman emperor, which was required for which, one of which rather, it was named after. 
Jesus, having had a beef with the Pharisees last week, is now getting out of Dodge again. He's letting things cool down. He wants to pray. He wants to have some quality time with his disciples. He uses the opportunity, though, to challenge his disciples. He launches into this question, and he asks them, look at the text. What does the text say? Who do people, or who are people, saying that I am? He uses the the messianic title from Daniel, perhaps his favorite way of referring to himself, the son of man. He wants to know what the chatter on the streets is about. What what are people saying about me? Not in a, a fearful, oh my gosh, I hope they like me. No, not that kind of way. Is anybody saying anything bad about me? Not what he's doing here, okay? He wants to know how people are understanding him. What are they saying he's here to do? Who is he? Do they get it? And the answer is, kind of. Look at verse 14. The disciples answered him, and they said, Some say John the Baptist, or others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The disciples give various answers that to us seem like they're completely confused, but they're, they're kind of on the right track. Because a lot of these figures have a lot to do with the prophecies of the Messiah. And especially the prophecies of the end of the world, the end times when you get into Elijah and things like that. So they're, they're on the right track. They're kind of confused, but they're on the right track. They know that a lot of these guys have a lot to do with the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. They give various answers that seem random. Evidently, they think that one of them possibly has returned as Jesus. Not so much. So close. So people are mostly confused, but what about the disciples? What, what do they think? Look at verse 15. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Can you guys picture this moment? Disciples alone with Jesus, 120 miles north, enjoying some quality time with him, probably praying, probably resting, probably telling stories of all the people that they had ministered to. I'm reading into the context a little bit, but I'll bet there was some laughter and some poking fun at the people when Jesus asked, all right, come on, what are people saying about me? (laughs) Some people actually said you're Jeremiah. Like, John the Baptist, do you believe that? And they were yucking it up, laughing, maybe at some of these answers. And Jesus grows quiet and then drops the bomb. All right, guys, fine. Who do you say that I am? You you could probably hear a pin drop at that moment. Silence. Jaws drop open. Who is going to respond? And leave it to Peter, all right? <laughs> Impulsive Peter, who will emerge as one of the leaders of the early church, he responds, and what a response. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's so important here, the words that Peter uses. First notice, he calls him the Christ, Okay, Christ is not Jesus' last name. We've said that before. It's not like Jesus Jones. It's, I think that was a band, wasn't it? It was Jesus the Christ. 
It's a title. It's not his last name. It's a title. It means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. It means God in the flesh. He says, you are Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Peter's saying, we believe that you are who you say you are. He also adds to that, so there's no confusion. He says, you are son of the living God. As if there's any further clarification needing after saying that Jesus was the Messiah, he adds to it just so no one is confused about what he's saying. You are the son of the living God. Therefore, you are God in the flesh. No, Peter uses the word the in both of those things, right? There's only one. There's only one Messiah. There's only one son of the living God. The uniqueness of who Jesus is. And, and how does Jesus react? He responds immediately with validation and says, you got it. Finally. <laughs> Think about that. Last week, another moment where the disciples didn't get it. Where are we going to get bread? What's going to happen? We've got all these people here. What are we going to do? Right? And Jesus is like, oh, you of little faith again. Like, I just fed 5,000. Now, do you see the pattern here? I'm doing it now in Gentile territory. Now they get it. Now they get it. Not only do they get it, they boldly confess it. And they say it. And they agree. They finally get it. Peter confesses what must have been a common belief for all of them. We know who you are, Jesus. We believe you. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus confirms this understanding as a fact. He doesn't deny it. He confirms it. Yes, he is the Christ. And he says, blessed are you, full name, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. No one told you this and you didn't figure it out all on your own. This is how you came to know. You know how you finally got this? You know where, where it all clicked? Because my heavenly father revealed it to you. My father the Jews, of course, had the highest level of respect for God the Father. It tends to happen when people who touch the ark drop dead, or when you walk into the tabernacle with strange fire and also drop dead, they tend to have a high respect for God the Father. But you know, they probably never call him Father, and they certainly would never ever call him my Father. And Jesus drops that. He says, my Father has revealed this to you. Think of what he's saying here, church. Because Jesus is God's son, therefore he calls him my father. And this father in heaven is the one who revealed the truth of who he is to Peter and to the rest of the disciples. And so here's the point. God reveals the truth about himself to his people. God reveals the truth about himself to his people. In midweek this last week, shameless plug, we looked at Augustine, one of my favorite old dead friends. This next week we're going to look at Luther. But Augustine battled with an ancient heresy called Pelagianism. And what Pelagianism is, is it basically a denial of original sin. It basically says that people are basically good and that they can basically contribute to their own salvation. They have enough merit within themselves that they can actually have their own free will and decide and contribute to their salvation. And people aren't really sinful and depraved as the Bible says they are. One theologian said that the evangelical church today is in a Pelagian prison. And I would completely agree with that. We see the humanistic thought coming into the church that says people are basically good. 
We see celebrity pastors and multi-million dollar megachurches and local prosperity gospel hucksters try and preach the same Pelagian message today about finding God's vision for our lives. They distort the gospel. They make it all about us selling a cheap substitute for the glorious gospel, one that puts God in our service and makes us the center of our universe makes God our co-pilot, makes God our dream giver, makes God our way maker. Peter's bold confession of faith is the exact opposite of what that is. He says, no, you are the Christ, the anointed one. And Jesus says, yes, and you didn't figure out that all by yourself and all of your intelligence and all of your goodness. My heavenly father revealed that to you. Because that's the only way you would know. We didn't save ourselves. We, don't, we didn't come to believe without the Father revealing the gospel to us. God is sovereign over salvation, church, from start to finish. And the Bible, as you would imagine, is all over this. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I put that one in your bulletins. Verses 12 and 13. Watch, watch who else is involved in this. When we say God, we got to remember this is the triune God. Father, Son, and Father, Son, and Spirit, right? Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 2. What I mean is that each of you says, nope, that's definitely the wrong verse. Chapter 2, not chapter 1, chapter 2. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see that work there, church? You see the work of the Holy Spirit, the plan of God the Father revealing the work of the Son? That is a spiritual work. That is not of our own work. God reveals the truth about himself to his people. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, says it very, very simply in John chapter 6, Verse 44, watch who else is involved in this, right? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You want to know how you came to faith? You came to faith because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel, that you were a sinner and that Jesus was your Savior. God reveals his truth to his people. Simon Peter didn't come up with that all on his own. It was revealed to him, and Jesus makes that very, very clear. You know where I'm going with this, Highlands, right? Who do you say Jesus is? And how is it that you think you came to believe that? You think that Jesus is a historical figure? You think he's a nice guy? You think he loved all and welcomed all? Do you think he's a good teacher? Or is he the Christ? the son of the living God. And how does your life reflect what you believe about that? What about the jokes when they start in the office or friends from school or, or when you're hanging out with friends? Wait, you don't actually believe that, do you? You don't actually believe that Jesus stuff, do you? I did. Well, it's there somewhere. 
You don't actually believe that stuff about Jesus, do you? Will you, like Peter, confess at that moment, no, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's how he revealed that to me. Or do we back down when we have to make an answer for it? God reveals the truth about himself to his people, and in the verses that follow, Jesus will inaugurate the assembly of his people in the church. Look at verse 18, back in Matthew 16. It says this, and I will tell you, this is Jesus still responding to Peter's confession, and I will tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus not only affirms that Peter got the right answer to the question of who he was, he's like, you're right, that's who I am. Now, this is who you are. He says, you are Peter. And he goes on to tell Peter who he is. He says, I am the Christ, and you are Peter, and on you I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. This verse is one of the most confusing and misapplied verses in all of the New Testament. In case in point, this is where the Roman Catholic Church and Roman Catholic theology uses it to establish the doc- the, their idea of the papacy and the infallibility of Peter as the first pope and then the successions of all the popes after that. Is that what this verse is saying? Absolutely not. One commentator simply writes, Jesus did not come to establish the papacy. So how are we to interpret this verse? It's fairly clear from the context, though, that Jesus is actually talking about Peter himself. And sometimes us evangelicals get really nervous about that and say, okay, well, maybe he's really talking about what what Peter said, not really so much about Peter, which is sort of true because it is based on the confession, but he is talking about Peter himself. What's true is that Peter is the spokesperson for the disciples and that Jesus is talking directly to Peter. But what is not true is that he gives complete papal authority to Peter at this moment. We know Peter's not infallible because next week Jesus is going to call him Satan. <laughs> it's, it's, we know he's going to deny him three times, right? So it's, it's not, you can't get this whole doctrine of an infallible pope authority figure of the whole church from this one verse. One of my other old dead friends, Mr. Calvin, puts it this way. It is a foolish inference of the papists. I love the way they talk in the Reformation. It is a foolish inference of the papists that he received the primary and became the universal head of the whole church. Rank is a different thing from power. And to be elevated to the highest place of honor among a few persons is a different thing from embracing the whole world under his dominion. There's no way. How else do we know this? Well, the passage also says that Jesus says, the church is not Peter's church. He says, I will build my church. It's not the Pope's church. It's not Peter's church. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus is establishing his church, and he is saying it will be on the, built on the rock of the truth of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter is the first one to publicly declare that among the disciples. Look also what he says about this church. Look again at the text. He tells them that the gates of hell and death will not stand against it. What is, what is, all right, what's a gate? 
A gate is something that you use to keep people out, right? If you go to an embassy, in an American embassy in a foreign country, you're going to see a gate, a heavily fortified gate that's going to try to keep people out. It's controlling accents. In other words, it is defensive. So watch this. If the gates of hell he's talking about are defensive, then who's on the offensive? The church. The church is on the offensive, pressing into the gates of hell and death and sin and evil. And Jesus says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. It's impossible. I will overpower it. They will not win. Jesus says the church should be on the offense. The church should be advancing. And he also says that nothing will stop it. The church will storm the gates of hell and death and they will not stand. How? By the same conclusion, the same confession that Peter just said. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God, the gospel. Here's the point. The church will advance by the proclamation of the gospel. The church will advance through the proclamation of the gospel. The church, Jesus' church, will not or should not retreat or cower in the corner from cultural pressure, but church, we need to advance. And we advance through the proclamation of the gospel. And all the evil in the world can't stop it. Do we get that? What we're doing right now is advancing the gospel. And so church, how critical then is that the church be built on the gospel? To be built on the testimony of Jesus Christ. How we have to center ourselves on nothing else other than the gospel and Jesus Christ and resist all other temptations. When we have Christ-centered care groups, when we have Bible studies, when we have ladies' winter tea, we don't do that to attract people. We want people to come. We don't do that just to attract people. We're not trying to be seeker-friendly, but we do it to proclaim the gospel and advance the church. That's why we do those things. The church advances, and the gates of hell are powerless against us, and we all, like Peter, confess to the truth of that gospel. Luther wrote this, all who agree with the confessions, the confession rather, are Peter's themselves, setting a sure foundation. That's the foundation. That's the center. The gospel is the power of the local church. There's no shortage, again, of megachurch experts with celebrity senior pastors and their philosophies. Usually all of those church growth things are not pointing to Jesus Christ. Usually they're not having Jesus in the center. Usually they're worried about metrics and attendance and things like that. And I pray that the megachurch culture in America, the evangelical megachurch culture in America, either reforms itself or dies because it is doing damage to the work of Jesus Christ. We need churches that are faithful to the gospel. It doesn't matter what size they are. We need to reclaim the centrality, the authority, the power of the local church through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church will advance only one way, by the proclamation of the gospel, and nothing can stop it. And so Highlands have confidence in what we do when we proclaim the gospel. We are advancing the church. God is advancing his church through the proclamation of the gospel. Be encouraged by this quote from J.C. Ryle. I don't think anybody I'm quoting from today is actually alive, just for the record. 
He says this, nothing can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, or burned. But the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousands, and then they pass away and go to their own place. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in his own turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and will break many a hammer still. One day, church, we will rest from our fight, but today we're in the fight. And the fight is that the gospel is what the power of the local church is. That is how the church advances. So let us not neglect the church. Let us prioritize the church. Let us emphasize commitment to the local church through membership in the church, to be faithful in-person attendance, if at all necessary, to engage in ministries in the church where God has called us. And tonight, we celebrate what Jesus is doing through his church at Highlands Bible Church at our member meeting, 5 p.m. tonight. Don't forget. We will welcome new members. We will rejoice in God's provision. We will affirm new elders and much more. Let us not lose sight, church. This church, Jesus' church, will advance by the proclamation of the gospel, and may all we do be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so then, how is the church supposed to grow? How do we know what is centered on Jesus and not centered on Jesus? How do we know who are authentic Christians and not authentic Christians and therefore should be welcomed into membership or not? That's where Jesus goes next. Look at verse 19. Continuing on, talking to Peter, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Here's where things really start to go off the rails in Catholic theology. If verse 18 is about Peter, then Peter having the keys is the first pope and all the other popes who are completely, unilaterally in charge of everything in the church. Of course, the the Roman doctrine of the papacy is rooted in apostolic succession, that the first pope was Peter, and then every pope needs to be somehow connected to Peter through that. And therefore, the popes, and only the popes, have the true authority in the church. It's not true. And we, we, we've seen over thousands of years it's deadly to the mission of the church. The Catholic Church still continues to proclaim a false gospel built on the foundation of false authority. In Capernaum, there is a statue, the hometown of Peter, and he's holding a, a giant key, and at the bottom of this statue, it has verse 18 on it, and I took a picture of it, and you might think, well, Pastor Mike, that's a terrible picture. And you're right, there's, there's the, the foundation. And as you can see, we can't see Peter's head because it's cut off. But, but here's why that is cut off. Because when I stood there, I got bumped, I got checked, I got run over. I could not get five seconds of a clear frame that somebody was not bursting into that statue, praying to it and kissing its feet, putting things on it, rubbing it for good luck, whatever. 
That's the best shot I could get. People worshiping Peter, a statue of Peter. That's where misinterpreting Scripture ends up. Idolatry, false worship. And Jesus tells Peter that he will give him the keys. And again, not solely Peter, but first to Peter and then to what? His church in accordance with the rest of Scripture and the doctrine of the church. All those who follow in the God-revealed truth that Peter first declared will likewise have the authority in the church, so long as it's based on the proclamation of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the point. What's the deal with the keys? What do keys do? They control access. If you have a key to a room, you get in that room. If you don't have a key to the wrong key, you don't get in that room. They lock and unlock doors. Jesus says the keys to the church, they will bind and loosen things, and whatever is bound and loosed on earth will likewise be bound and loosed in heaven. A binding and loosening are Jewish metaphors for approving, for rejecting, for allowing, or forbidding. Okay, so let's put these pieces together. What did Peter just do? Peter just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And so context here would say that anyone who likewise confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, should be given entrance, the door should be unlocked, for them to enter the church. Unlock the door and let them in. If they don't confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the door's locked. You don't get into the church. And I'm talking about membership here. I'm not talking about getting into the building. If you're not a Christian, we don't lock the doors. We want you in here, okay? That's the point, right? I'm talking about membership. Context would also tell us that we approve as consistent what is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we do here, the heaven would agree with that. If we say that this testimony, this activity, this program, this teaching or whatever is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ, heaven would agree with that because heaven's not going to disagree with its book, right? We're going to understand. It's, it's going to agree. So what we, we bound on earth in the name of Jesus in relation to the confession, the proper confession of the gospel would be agreed upon in the heavenly realms. Same thing if it wasn't. This is then what Jesus is calling the church to do. From the moment it will be established by the very disciples he is speaking to. He says, I will build my church on the confession of faith that I am the Messiah. And then you, church, will then have to approve or reject those who want to be part of it based on their testimony about who they say I am. Here's the point. Access to the church is granted or denied based on the belief of the gospel. Access to the church is granted or denied based on the belief of the gospel. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you can be welcomed into the membership of the church. If you don't, you cannot. And who does that authority go to? Who holds the keys? Who do we see Jesus giving it to? He gives it to Peter establishing the church as a leader of the church and then therefore all the other leaders of the church who then continue on. Who does the New Testament tell us the leaders of the church are? The elders. The elders, the pastors of the church. The elders hold the keys to the local church. And we pastors and elders only do that. How? 
under God's authority as consistent with what? The proclamation of who Jesus is. One author put it this way, the power of the kingdom is entrusted to the church. The kingdom is not a matter of geography or politics, but rather recognizing God's authority and living under it. The elders of the church are responsible under God to verify the authenticity of the testimony of the people. How? By comparing it to this. That's why when you become a member of Highlands Bible Church, the biggest thing we're worried about is who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? It's one of the questions you can get wrong. But we hope that you don't get it wrong and we equip you hopefully through teaching, like right now, an instruction of who Jesus is from the Bible. We say, yes, this person has a testimony that is consistent with the gospel that we see in Scripture. Likewise, we see this preaching, this program, this ministry, this whatever is acceptable or not acceptable based on what? Not our own whims, but on the testimony of Scripture about who Jesus is. We're going to see that in a few weeks in in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. When two of our ladies yesterday gave their testimonies at the winter tea, we celebrate that. We give them access. We give them a microphone. They stand up here and they proclaim their testimony. We give them keys to open the door to this and have a microphone. Why? Because their testimony is consistent with who the Bible says Jesus is, right? Whatever program, whatever kids' ministry curriculum, Whatever, we give keys, we unlock, we authorize. We say, yes, this is consistent or this is not consistent. So when you become a member of Highlands, right, again, the biggest thing we're worried about is what you say about Jesus. How do you understand the gospel? Can you enunciate the gospel? Is it clear? And is your life consistent with what you just said? It's worth adding that along these lines... It's a false understanding here. Sometimes you hear this this passage preached incorrectly, saying that this binding and loosening refers to spirits. Man, I'm dying up here. I have Ricola upstairs. Ron's on it. Thank you, Ron. Ron knows what's in my desk. I've been ransacking it regularly, I understand. Um, sometimes you'll hear this passage preached binding and loosening as far as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bind this spirit in the name of Jesus over my life. And I'm going to loosen the spirit of blessing and prosperity and riches and whatever in the name of Jesus. It's not in this passage. It's false teaching. Why do we know that? Because this told us so. (laughs) It's just not here. So be very, very wary when people are going around saying they're binding things in the name of Jesus or loosening things in the name of Jesus. This in this passage is talking about the authority and the structure of the local church. And we've got to remember that. And so what's the correct application then? Commit ourselves to the priority and purity of the local church, which is based upon the gospel of Jesus. If you are a member Be faithful, press on in the faith, endeavor with the help of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that is worthy of the calling. Ask ask for help 
from your elders, from your shepherds. How am I doing? Does my life look consistent with proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? If you are a member, one of the things I'll say is, why not? One of the things I pray for in 2022 is an ever-increasing priority and purity of the membership here at Highlands Bible Church. I hope that you see that we hold membership very, very highly in this, in this church. Thank you. Because we believe it comes partly right out of this. this ah. <laughs> it's like a desert of glass shards in the back of my mouth right now. <clears throat> I hope, I hope you see the priority we place on membership. And it's biblical. And this is why. Because we see this here in the Bible. This is what Jesus calls us to do. If you're not a member, why not? If you've been coming here for years and you're not a member, why not? Tonight we're going to welcome three new members and there are more in the process we have our next member meeting coming up on February 20th, 6 p.m. Shameless plug. Believe in the truth that Peter confesses, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that the church is how his kingdom advances in power. So, so let me try to put all this together in a big idea. Jesus must be the center of his church. Jesus must be the center of his church. This whole passage centers on Jesus. The truth of who he is as the Messiah, as Savior and Lord, as God in the flesh, the understanding of that, and the inauguration of his church that's based on the truth of that. Jesus must be the center of his church. In Revelation chapter 1, there's a scene with Jesus standing in the middle. Maybe I put this one in the bulletin, I can't remember. Jesus is standing in the middle of what is seven golden lampstands. We went over this in midweek, another shameless plug. Revelation 1, 12 through 13 says this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Then on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst, in the middle of the lampstands, it was one like a son of man. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Like almost like the whole Bible tells one story, right? In the middle, like, was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Later go on to see in Revelation that the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches that he's writing to, but by extension, they're the churches. And who's in the middle of the church? Jesus. Even at the end of time. Even when he is consummating all his purposes, bringing in the new kingdom, all of that, who's still in the middle of the church? Jesus himself. Jesus must be the center of his church. Not a pastor, not the elders, not any particular program, not politics, not COVID response, not money, not the government, not any group, not any clique, not any false theology that doesn't line up with the faith delivered once for all the saints, Jesus must be the center of his church. In verse 20, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone. And again, he's, he's trying to avoid this getting out of hand. He's trying to keep things on somewhat contained because he still has work to do. And so do we. 
We don't have that command. He's not telling us to keep this quiet. We're the ones who are supposed to go. We're the ones who have the great commission. We're the ones who are called to bring glory to God by what? The making and maturing of disciples of Jesus Christ. We're the ones that are going to go throughout all of the earth and say, no, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we really do need him because we really are sinners. And the primary way is through the church. One author said the church is God's plan A. It's it. And we have parachurch organizations or whatever. We're all called to individual evangelism, yes. But the primary way that we accomplish the Great Commission is right here. We preach God's word and we live it out. We're gathered today, but we're going to be scattered in our own neighborhoods, in our own schools, in our own everything. And we're going to live that out. That's the vision for the church. Anything else that becomes the vision for the church is wrong. Why? Because Jesus must be the center of his church. Highlands, do we understand the magnitude of the authority and the calling of the local church? Do you understand that the church will advance and the gates of hell cannot stand against it? Do we understand that this is all centered on Jesus, the truth of the gospel of who he is that has been revealed to us? And do we understand that everything in the church, all ministries, all programs, all testimonies, all activities, all worship song lyrics, all sermons, all missionaries, our supported organizations must line up with what? Jesus. He must be the center of his church. Do we prioritize the local church? Are we coming to church? Are we prepared to worship God on the Lord's Day together with all the saints rejoicing and celebrating what? The gospel. Celebrating the truth of who Jesus is. All of this church must be grounded in the main point of this passage. The testimony, the confession that Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Think, who do you say Jesus is? And does your life look like you mean it? Jesus must be the center of his church. Father, what a passage you have given us this morning. And thank you for your enabling grace. I pray, Lord, that as we consider these words, these powerful and convicting words, Lord, of course, there's many ways we think about this, but, but the first way is personally. Who do we say Jesus is? Would we be able to say that you have revealed it to us, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? And do, does, our lives, does our life look like that? But as a church, Lord, are we able to say that you are the center You have established your church here at Highlands Bible Church, a kingdom outpost in Vernon. Lord, we pray that you are the center of this church. We pray that you would make us faithful to be the center of this church. We pray for us even tonight as we gather for our member meeting, Lord, that you would be the center of that, that you would be glorified and celebrated because of who you are and what you have done for us. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.